Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi, and welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I sit down with Ivalice Page. Ivalice is the executive director and co-founder of Believe Big and the Believe Big Institute of Health. Diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in 2008, she overcame the 8% two-year survivorship rate without the use of chemotherapy and remains cancer-free today. After overcoming cancer, Ivalice was compelled to reach out to patients facing similar challenges with hope, help, and healing. Ivalice and her husband, Jimmy, established Believe Big in 2011 to help families bridge the gap between conventional and complementary medicine for treating cancer. They initiated and are currently supporting the ongoing phases of the first mistletoe clinical trial in the United States in collaboration with the John Hopkins University School of Medicine. I look forward to sharing my conversation with Ivalice, but before I do, just a couple things to mention. First, a reminder to head over to my website at revivewellness.com to get your free seven top tips to keep cancer away and feel confident in your body again. That's R-E-V-I-V-E-Wellness.com. And second, I want to take a moment to thank the Carl Felt Center, who makes the show possible. Hi, Ivalice. I'm so looking forward to talking to you today. Welcome. Hi, Haley. Thank you for having me on. It's an honor. Oh, my pleasure. And first, I would just love you to share your story and, you know, how were you diagnosed? Any symptoms you may have had? Yeah, you know, I at that time, um, I was a busy mom of four and I was homeschooling during the day and was running a business at night. And all I found was that I found myself fatigued, that I was taking three hour naps in the middle of the day, every single day. And for a while, I just thought I was burning the candle at both ends. But I finally realized when summer hit and I was still exhausted that something was wrong. And my family had a history of colon cancer, so I knew it was a real possibility. Uh, but I was diligent about getting regular colonoscopies. I knew the signs to look out for, and I hadn't been experiencing any of them. Uh, but still, my husband insisted that I go see a doctor. And it was at that time that um, I was lying at, you know, series of tests led me to getting a, another colonoscopy just to rule that out. And as I was lying on the bed in the surgery center, the doctor walked in and I could immediately look, you know, by the look on his face that something was wrong. And he told me what every patient hopes they never hear. And, and that's that we found cancer. Uh, yeah. I mean, 37 years old and 
you know, I was young too. I was 29. So I, I completely relate. And, you know, what was going through your mind? How did you figure out, like, what am I going to do next? Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've gotten, you know, sometimes people say that there are little graces in the difficult moments in your life and to try and find, you know, those aspects when you're going through something difficult. And so many times we feel like we could control outcomes. I am a very type A, get things done type of person, but at the same time, it can make you feel like, well, if you do two plus two, then four, it equals four. But many times it doesn't. And, you know, I actually have something called it's Lynch syndrome, and it's a genetic uh, disposition where you have multiple, uh, can get multiple cancers at earlier ages. And it's similar to the BRCA gene and things like that. And so I have always been very um, vigilant about my care and even post the colon cancer diagnosis. But I was recently, this last summer, diagnosed with uh, endometrial cancer. Um, it was a complete shock, um, because I, I was doing quote unquote, all the right things, according to my physicians that were monitoring me closely, both on the integrative and in the conventional side, but those practices, those healthy practices that you talk about, you know, are what caught this at such an early stage. It was a stage one a, and so surgery was the end of it for me. Um, and so I had two different experiences, you know, back in 2008, when I was diagnosed with stage four, it was very dire. Um, they gave me an 8% chance of surviving. And I remember I started to cry. I couldn't stop. I was filled with fear uh, of the thought of not seeing my kids grow up and growing old with my husband, Jimmy. Uh, I actually flashed back to when I was 13 and I had lost my father to cancer. You know, I had spent my entire life trying to avoid it. And here I was diagnosed at the same age with the very same type of cancer that took his life, my grandmother's life, and half of her siblings. And it really seemed hopeless to me. And so that became the investigation of what do I do? How do I go about that? Fast forward to this diagnosis. It's amazing when you're listening to podcasts like yours and you have the tools already in your toolbox, there is tremendous peace. Uh, my my husband was was telling me this time around, I knew exactly what to do. I knew who to call. I wasn't worried at all because I knew I was doing the right things to catch things early, so early that nothing was showing up on my blood work. Uh, it was kind of like this perfect storm of uh, hormones uh, going through menopause and all those things and stress that I was under. But I told my husband, I was like, I am not afraid. I'm not afraid this time. And I know exactly what to do. And uh, I said, I'm actually more fearful of the actual surgery than of the cancer itself this time around. So it's been really interesting to see both sides of the coins to know how a person feels and reacts when they have the tools and they know what to do and they have a pathway when you are in entering a storm that you have nothing you know about. So it's so good that you have this podcast that you share all these wonderful tips that really help people to be prepared and know what to do. Oh, I so appreciate that. And I know it's going to give so many people comfort, you know, because when you feel empowered, when you know there's resources out there and you hear stories like yours, it, it lessens people's fears. So I'm just so happy, so happy for you to share your story. So thank you. Yes. <laughs> and so just to go back to, to your colon cancer, what did you do in terms of treatment for that? 
Yeah. So at home, as I was uh, recovering from surgeries, again, they told me that I had a less than 8% chance of surviving. Uh, I would look over at night and I would just see my husband searching the internet for anything that could possibly help me, Um, but he wasn't finding much. Uh, During this time though, we met with a physician who told us about mistletoe therapy and who would have thought that the plant we see at Christmas time was used around the world to treat cancer. And you know what? I was willing to try anything, Uh, but therapies like this are not covered by insurance. And I was worried that we wouldn't be able to afford it. And we weren't, but a community of people really came around us to help save my life and a community of people that were willing to give of their resources so that I could have a a second chance at life. And, and that it's never just one thing. So I want to be clear with those who are listening. It's not just, oh, I need mistletoe and I'll be healed of stage four cancer. It's a very multifaceted approach. I, I always compare it to a trivial pursuit piece that has many different wedges. And there's an emotional piece, there's a spiritual piece, there's a physical piece that includes food, supplements, nutrition. But the mistletoe was a really huge uh, piece because for me personally, I made the decision not to do chemotherapy or radiation, even though they were asking me to, because when I asked the questions of how it would help me for my case, for the lymph nodes affected, for my age and all of that, they told me it would maybe help me 10%. And I just felt like it would be burning down a whole forest uh, for one rotten tree. And I said, you know what, if I have six months to live, I am going to live it out with my family. I'm not going to be sick and in bed and weakened. And so that, but that was my choice. I know everyone makes their own choices on what's best for their health and follows whatever they feel um, is best for them. Uh, But for me, I knew it would hurt me more than it would help me. I just felt that in my gut. And sure enough, years later, I, I discovered through genetic testing and other tests that I did that it would have. And so for my, for my case, I don't process out chemicals easily. I have that MTHFR gene that is really hard to to do. And so it would have affected me greatly had I done that. And so I am grateful that things like mistletoe that can come in and attack cancer cells, but not your good cells uh, like chemo does. uh, And that it helps you with great quality of life, extension of life, so many facets that mistletoe does that I'm grateful that it played a huge role in saving my life. That is so amazing. And, you know, if you, you did say some of the benefits, but what is the protocol exactly? And was your doctor okay with you doing this? How did he react? Yeah, I'm grateful. You know, one of the things that we share at Believe Big is that uh, we have uh, questions to ask oncologists. We have patient advocates that people can reach out and speak to that will help guide you in how to have these discussions with your oncologists. But for my case, you know, I was so grateful. We we tell people to interview at least two, three preferably, uh, to make sure that they're on the same page, that they're willing to work with you and that they're not a physician that says my way or the highway. And I think this next generation of physicians are more open than in the past. Uh, but I was so grateful to have one that really listened to, to my desire for a more natural approach. And I also feel that because I was stage four, he knew there wasn't very much that he could do. And so he was willing to support me in any way that I felt could help me. So I, I, I'm so grateful for him for that. Ah, oh, that's incredible. And what is it exactly? What is it IV that you do? Yeah. So at 
that point, uh, it was only the subcutaneous, which is injections of mistletoe, were only available. Now, they, we also have the ability to use intravenously, and every case is different. Every patient is different to what they need. Typically, the IVs are used to push back tumor growth to stabilize a patient later in the later stages, uh, and then following, continuing with the injections. Um, I have done the injections now for 14 years, and it just really depends on what you're experiencing, the the reactions that you're getting to it, because everybody's body responds differently to it. So it's not like a supplement like vitamin D that you say, take, you know, 25,000 I use a week. No, it's, it's really individualized. And that's why it has to be prescribed by a physician that is trained in mistletoe and not just, Hey, I'm going to go order this at a vitamin store. Yeah. So were you tested soon after and, and what were your results and were you feeling better after you used it? Yeah. So I started my mistletoe therapy two weeks before my liver surgery. So I had a colon resection and then that's after the colon resection, I found a physic, the physician who told me about mistletoe. And we started that two weeks prior to the liver surgery. Cause we found out it had spread to the liver and, um, yeah. And I would say I, I started back up on it a week post-surgery because I was in the hospital for a week in the ICU and, and um, intensive care. And so I, I probably would say that it took a couple weeks to where I would feel the difference. And I think it was a little different too, because surgery takes a lot out of you energy-wise and um, with your health. And so, but I noticed that over the course of time, my energy was better. My outlook was better. My mood was better. And the real test was 10 weeks later when I showed up for my post-op appointment and I asked my oncologist, I said, you know, what are the chances that it's back? And he's like, you really want to know? And he's like, yes. I I said, yeah, I really want to know. I want to know what we're looking at here. And he said, because it's in your liver, um, it, there's a 75% chance that it's back 10 weeks later. And I was just flabbergasted. I was like, oh my goodness. And literally uh, I was sitting there and my husband looked over and he just, he was, he's like my lightning rod. You know, he just would always uh, keep me looking with a positive outlook and seeing the possibilities of what God could do and not the challenge of the circumstance in front of me. And I was so grateful for that support system because he he looked at me, he says, you're going to be that 25%. And I'm like, that's right. 25% is a good number. Uh. (laughs) So I was sure enough that we were sitting in his, um, appointment room and the scans came back and there was no evidence of disease. Three months later, no evidence of disease. Three months after that and six months, a year, five years, no evidence of disease. So it's it's amazing. Um, They were flabbergasted. And it wasn't until the two-year mark that he was like, do you know how monumental this is? And I'm like, yes. And that's why this needs to be made available to all patients. It shouldn't just be available to some, everyone needs to hear about this. And that became the discussions to start the first ever mistletoe clinical trial in the United States. You have to be so proud about that. I mean, that is not an easy thing to do. (laughs) Money for the clinical trials and all that. It was definitely a big teamwork. I, I know that so many people 
you know, we did so many different kinds of fundraisers and it was really a grassroots effort. And it just was really a community of people that came together to say, we really need to make this available. And including my oncologist, who was the head researcher at the time of Hopkins, he made it so that the trial would be affordable for us to be able to do, unlike a pharmaceutical company that has millions to throw at a trial uh, or at a research team. And so, yeah, it was definitely a team effort. Uh, really grateful. We we completed phase one. The If someone wants to look at the actual report, they can go on to believebig.org, click on mistletoe, and they'll see the clinical trial information paperwork uh, right there uh-huh. and, and see it for themselves. Yes. That is so amazing and exciting. And I was wondering, you know, how'd you start Believe Big? And when did you start it? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. We were sitting in the waiting room, ready, getting ready for my one of my appointments. And my husband and I looked around the room and we just saw that there was this heaviness, even though it was beautifully decorated and the staff couldn't be kinder. There was this heaviness upon the room and just people's faces were stark and hopeless. And we saw so many people sitting there alone. I couldn't believe it. I had such a support system and a lot of people are doing this alone and I couldn't believe it. And as I sat down there with my husband and we're looking around and I said, I believe that God has us here for a reason. I really feel like we can do something in the midst of this to bring hope to some of these people who are sitting here who don't have a community to support them. And he's like, well, what are we going to do? And I'm like, I don't know, but let's pray about it and find out. And sure enough, a few days later, I was having coffee in the morning. And uh, I love taking my kids to the Paint Your Own Pottery Studios. And I realized that the same mug I would pull out every day was this one with their handprints on it because it made me smile. And as I looked at it, I'm like, that's it. We are going to have people in the community paint these believe mugs and just have the word believe on there so that no, they know that someone in their community cares about them. And sure enough, friends and family gathered and we started painting these and we would wrap them and we'd put a little prayer. I will have no fear that my husband compiled for me because that was a big part of my journey. Uh, and we wrap them up. And when I'd go for my appointments, we would deliver them and hand them out. And you could just see a transformation in the room from hopelessness to hope rising. Um, people were just so amazed that someone would take time out of their busy day to paint one for them. Mm. I have chills going down the coffee. <laughs> that is just so beautiful. And do you still sell them on your website? Yeah. So we uh, sell them, we donate them. We have people in the community that we have a network all over the United States. So our goal is that wherever the mugs are painted, that they're distributed to hospitals and cancer patients within that area. So community helping their own community. But we also have some at Believe Big to, for areas that don't have pottery studios near them. You could order them and, and um, have them sent to a friend or family member at any time. Yeah, so great. And then how did it become what it is today? Yeah, I was, you know, it's funny. I was just so happy with it, just delivering mugs to people. And my husband and um, my really good friend, best friend uh, uh, at the t- said to me, you, there's something more here. There's something more that you're to do. And I'm like, really? And in, in amazingly, it did. It started to evolve over time. People asked me once I was well, how did this happen? Like, this doesn't occur. And what did you do? And who did you call? And what's mistletoe? And uh, what are the supplements you did? And anyway, 
how did you change things in your life? And it became this educational resource. So my husband and I put together this website that would be a resource for patients because I couldn't speak to everyone, but at least we could have a way for people to gather what we did, who to call. And we started to build a network of physicians around the country that would treat with mistletoe, which we have today on our website as well. And now there's a training and a vetting process that's involved too. And yeah, and and then it just started to evolve as I got well too with the clinical trial. And then as time went on even further, we realized that yes, we wanna help the patients of today, but we also have to plan for the future. And so that's where the Believe Big Institute of Health has come in, where we want a place where people can come and heal the whole person all in one place. I can't tell you the stress and the strain that I see in so many patients and even myself from one appointment to the next to the next. And what an amazing thing it would be to go to a place where people could go for a week or two, establish what they need, get the rest they need because it's in an environment that is uh, prone for, for healing. Uh, imagine being served organic foods and, and amazing, delicious meals at a hospital <laughs> um, with the best care possible. And then they can return home and follow up with, with physicians in their area that we can connect them to. So that is kind of like our big vision and our dream that we're currently working on. Oh, that sounds incredible. And do you have a date in mind or is it yeah, you know, it's a step-by-step process with COVID and everything. It kind of paused things, uh, but we are currently looking at land. Um, again, we are trying to figure out the best way to set this up in phases uh, because the whole vision is like 40000 40, $40 million. And so we want to start it in phases where it becomes possible to do Um in one step at a time. So first step is the land. And so that's what we're searching for. And hopefully someone listening today may have land that they'd like to donate in Colorado or Arizona. So let me know. (laughs) Exactly. I was just going to ask you where. So perfect. Yes. The tumor is only a symptom of cancer, not the cause. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Carlfeld. I'm the owner of the Carlfeld Center in Meridian, Idaho. We specialize in cutting edge integrative oncology care, addressing the cause and not just the symptom of cancer. There are 11 factors you need to address when diagnosed with cancer. To learn more of what they are, get my free ebook when you visit thecarfulcenter.com. Along with the ebook, I will email you a free webinar series where world-renowned specialists will tell you what you need to do to address these 11 factors. You'll hear from experts like Jane McLellan, Dr. Paul Anderson, Dr. Neil McKinney, Dr. William Lee, Dr. Nasha Winters, and Dr. Isaac Elias. Don't miss out on this life-saving information. I also offer a free 15-minute cancer consult where we can go over where you are at in your cancer journey and how the cutting-edge therapies we offer can benefit you. Give the Carful Center call at 208-338-8902 or visit our website at thecarfulcenter.com. Just go back to your healing journey. I mean, what else did you do besides the mistletoe? What else did you look at in your life? Yeah, you know, at that time, I realized I, I emotional part of healing is something that we don't really focus on. And I realized that there was a lot of things that I was carrying. And I think women and men do it as well. 
you know, there, you have certain disappointments and grieving things that happen in your life that you just kind of tuck away and bury. And, you know, someone gave me this great analogy about a field, a farmer in a field. And every year the farmer has to remove these huge boulders in order for him to plant the harvest. And every year new boulders rise up. And it's the same in our lives is that we, if we tend to keep stuffing things down, eventually they're going to come up and we need to remove them and find grace with ourselves. We need to create boundaries within our lives so that we aren't um, crushed, you know, running from one thing to the next and just creating margin in our lives, uh, finding time for quiet moments in the morning. You know, that's my favorite time to pray and to meditate and to really fill my soul instead of dragging it along the day with my agenda and what needs to be done. And so I think resetting that was, was huge, uh, along with, you know, moving more towards a plant-based diet. Um, I do eat, you know, good quality meat, but probably 10% of my diet is that, and more of it is, um, plant-based, uh, recently I, I had something done called a nutrition genome, uh, test. And it really tells you what, based on your DNA, what your, uh, what would be the best things for you, whether it's fasting, whether it's foods to eat things that your body is needed. Uh, so it really kind of helps to determine what diet and what things are and best practices your body specifically needs. So, so yeah, it's, it's a journey and I think it's, it's never one and done and you're done. I think it's a continual journey. And even in this last thing, I knew that there were some things that I needed to sure up in my own health. And it's allowed me to be able to make steps even further for my kids' health in the future. So mm, that's so great. Cause you know, as you said, you constantly have to work at it. I mean, my diagnosis was 25 years ago and I'm constantly learning and changing things. I just want to go back to your, your current diagnosis now, did you have symptoms or was it a regular checkup? What happened there? Yeah, yes. Uh, endometrial cancer for, for me is one of the things that where the Lynch syndrome can show up. It's colon, endometrial, and potentially ovarian cancer. And so because of my Lynch syndrome with my colon cancer, they had been doing yearly checkups for me. And which involve things like internal sonograms, endometrial biopsies. I was very always every year do my blood works and my cancer markers, and nothing ever was a red flag or even a yellow flag. But I believe that this was just a perfect storm where my immune system, its its ability to see it, failed, and I think it was again stress related and emotional related. Um, from the things that I had experienced in the last three years. And it was just another reminder to me that, you know, we feel like we can just keep moving on, but we really have to address it. And I really worked hard this summer um, on sabbatical, working with a spiritual director that really helped to uncover things and, and practices that have really, I feel, transformed my life and really has um, helped me to create practices for life so that it doesn't rear its ugly head again. And again, I think we have to also give ourselves grace. I think sometimes you start thinking, well, what did I do wrong? And that's me. I go, what, what happened? How could this be? I, I eat well, I exercise, I do all these healthy practices. And, but 
you know, we can control what we can control. And I think that that is important. Our healthy practices are important, but this whole piece, I'm telling you this emotional piece we ignore, and it is just as vital as our physical side. And I think the stress would cause my insulin levels to rise. And along with my hormones, it just created this storm that caused the cancering process to start with my genetics. So, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because the emotional component, people don't want to go there because it's so painful. It's hard to feel those emotions. Yes. So people just push it under the rug. Yes. So the spiritual leader, what, just for our audience, Yeah. where did you find him or her or what kind of spiritual leader? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I read a book at the start of my sabbatical, which is called Your Best Life in Jesus's Easy Yoke. And it was uh, talking about all these things that it's meant also for people who are experiencing burnout, uh, people who are pushing really hard and and really need to figure out practices that will really help them to establish a life where they can do what they need to do, but not carry the burdens around with them. And so the authors of that book, Bill and Christy Giltier, they started a foundation called Soul Shepherding. And they have coaches, counselors, spiritual directors, I should say spiritual directors slash counselors that work with you. And what I love about it is is that it's based on your own needs. So I I met with them twice a month during the summer, and then now I meet with them monthly. And it's really, you know, they really kind of really help to ask you questions, but also really pray with you, really um, seek the heart of what's happening, empathetic listeners. Unlike a, a counselor for me, and it seems more like I'm being analyzed and, and not that there's anything wrong with counseling and that has its place. But for what I needed, I needed someone to challenge me, someone to really uh, listen, but also ask questions that I may not have been asking. And through that process, I uncovered things that I didn't even realize were affecting me. And I'll give you an example, which was um, I was an empty nester and this past you know year, uh, my daughter's in, and I, I didn't realize how that affected me so much. And so there, there are things that you uncover and you walk through and she, they give you tools to work on uh, to help you walk through the days so that, again, you're not carrying these burdens around and it affecting your physical health. Ah, that's so great. And I'm so glad you, you mentioned it because people struggle with that. And, you know, I know so many people that are, are going through cancer and they, they don't know what to do and they do all the things, like you said, like the food and the supplements, and maybe it's still not, you know, they're still not healing. Yeah. So there's so much to look at. Yes. And I wanted to ask you, what have you learned about yourself through this cancer process? Because I know, you know, cancer is such a big teacher. It really is. You know, for me, again, it's that I, yes, I need to do my part, but I'm not God. And I think that I've realized once again, you know, you and many people throughout our lives that have done everything wrong. I mean, you can do everything right and you can live, right? Or you can do everything right and you can die. You can do everything wrong and you can live. You know, ultimately for me, I believe that my my life is in God's hands and, and do I trust him no matter what's ahead? And you mentioned like, 
yes, when we go through challenging situations, there is always something to learn. And I, I personally believe for me personally, that there's always something good that comes from it. And for me, it was things that I had been putting again on the back burner, like my kid's health. And because of this, it brought it front and center. And now they're uh, shored up themselves. Uh, they've, they've done, we've set them up with practices to make sure that they are being vigilant and doing the right things, you know, to do the most that they can to keep themselves healthy. But I think, I think to take the pressure off of ourselves, um, to not be so hard on ourselves. And I just think to be grateful for the little things in life that we really take for granted. And even as I've gotten older, I've realized that, you know, the things that I used to be so burdened and concerned about, I've just learned to let that go. And I can only control what I can control in my immediate life, but I am not the maker of each day. <laughs> exactly. And there's so many people like you, me included, you know, type A personalities and, and want to control everything, mm-hmm. but realizing that there's someone bigger than us and to let go a little. That's huge in the healing process. Yes. So before we get into Random Round, I just wanted to ask you, is there any last piece of advice? You gave so many great tidbits. Any last piece of advice you'd like to leave the listeners? You know, I just really feel like to take one step at a time, that it's okay to say no. Uh, It's okay to put your family first. And I know for me, one of the things that we did is really we stepped back from a lot of our commitments. And I think that that was the best thing that we could have done. Many people would have said, oh my goodness, your kids are going to be behind. You know, you're, you're going to be missing out, you know, that FOMO that people feel like, but you know what? It's the complete opposite. It's false. Our family became stronger. Our family became more connected. My kids said it was the that they're one of their favorite seasons because they said, you know, we could just sit around and read. We could just sit around and th- we could go throw the football outside together instead of running from practice to practice and thing to thing and event to an event. And so I encourage anyone who's listening, who's in their canceling process, it's okay to slow down. It's okay to step back. Don't feel guilty for that. It's okay. That's so great. I mean, like you said, people are so hard on themselves. So just giving yourself grace. Yes. And did you homeschool your kids? Is that what you? At that time, I, I actually, interestingly enough, I had homeschooled my kids for five years and we had, I was not feeling well that summer and we had made the decision to put them into a school, private school. And it was, uh, there's, my daughter was starting kindergarten and my oldest was fifth grade at the time. And sure enough, that September was when I was diagnosed. So it's like God knew what we needed, my family needed. So they were in school, uh, but they were heavily involved in sports at the time. Got it. Well, now are you ready for random round? Absolutely. Go ahead. (laughs) Fill in the blank. Okay. Freedom to you is? Christ. The last show you binged and loved. Okay, this is going to sound funny, but it's my Spanish telenovela. <laughs> my my mom and my sister uh, got me hooked on them, and they're just fun, light heart, uh, and it helps me to practice my Spanish. So Spanish telenovelas. 
That's great. When you're feeling afraid, what do you do? I pray. If you could have a one hour discussion with someone past or present, who would it be and why? It would be my dad. Um, I lost him at such a young age. And, you know, I just knowing what I've experienced uh, now, I'm getting teary eyed just thinking about it, but I would have a lot of questions that I would love to talk to him about knowing where I am now and what he experienced as well. I think it it would just be just so beautiful. And he must be so proud of you. <laughs> what is your favorite go-to snack? Mm. You know, I don't, I'm not a big snacker. I don't really snack. I eat really good nutrient dense meals. And so I'm not really hungry, but if I did, I may grab a couple nuts or some grain-free granola. What is one simple thing that brings you joy? The ocean. What is on your nightstand? I have some books. <laughs> I have, if I'm completely honest, melatonin that I take before bedtime that my doctor uh, told me to take. Um, my readers, now that I'm over 50. <laughs> um, and some lotion. <laughs> what is your favorite form of exercise? Pilates. What is one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now? The love of my family. And last, you did give your website if you want to say it again, just where people can reach you. Sure. You can reach uh, me at believebig.org. It's believebig.org, or they're welcome to call our offices at 888 317 5850. Well, Ivelisse, thank you so much. This was just such an informative conversation. I know people are going to get so much hope from it. So thank you. Thank you for having me. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, the sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.